Welcome to Clippings, the official podcast of the Council for Nail Disorders, where Drs. April Schachtel and Catherine Stiff take a closer look at articles and clippings published on all things nail disease. Listeners can suggest articles for this podcast or topics of discussion by sending an email to kristen.cnd at gmail.com. Thank you for listening. Hello, and welcome to episode 11 of the Clippings Podcast, where we review nail papers and present them to you. I'm April Schachtel, and I'm joined today by my co-host, Catherine Stiff. Hey, April. My article today is titled, Distribution of Cellular Remnants of Melanocytes in the Nail Plate, Clue to the Diagnosis of Subungual Melanoma, by authors Sejin O. et al. from the Department of Dermatology at Samsung Medical Center and Sung Kyun Kwan University School of Medicine in Seoul, South Korea. It was published in the Journal of Cutaneous Pathology and is online ahead of print as of October 2021. Nail unit or subungual melanoma typically presents with longitudinal melanonychia, which can of course be caused by multiple things, including benign nevi or lentigenes. Nail matrix biopsy is the standard of care to diagnose it and is done by various methods such as a nail matrix shave biopsy, punch biopsy, or a lateral longitudinal excision. With all these methods, the nail plate may be partially or completely avulsed. However, handling of the nail plate is variable and the nail plate might be discarded, sent for histology, or replaced. Cellular remnants of melanocytes can be seen in nail plate specimens of nail melanoma and nail matrix nevi, and they're thought to be incorporated into the nail plate by transepithelial elimination. Nail matrix melanocytes can also be directly attached to the floor of the nail plate after nail avulsion, and in some cases that can be the only diagnostic clue for nail unit melanoma. Overall, histopathologic features of the nail plate in nail unit melanoma are not well described. This group set out to characterize the features of the nail plate in melanomas and nail matrix nevi with regards to something called cellular remnants of melanocytes. They focused on large cellular remnants because there were too many smaller remnants to be of practical use, and it's also difficult to tell the smaller remnants from melanin pigment. They did a retrospective review of 23 melanoma and 8 nevus cases from their medical center. Of the 23 melanoma cases, 19 were melanoma in situ and 4 were invasive melanoma. All cases were confirmed by nail matrix biopsy and had nail plate submitted. They looked at histology sections of the darkest part of the nail plate, as well as clinical records, photographs, and gender, age of onset, and affected nail. Their pathologists reviewed the matrix biopsies as well as the nail plate histology, and they reported on the presence and number of large cellular remnants of melanocytes, which was defined as remnants with a diameter equal or larger to that of neighboring corneocytes. They also looked at retraction artifacts, pigmentation, and nuclear remnants of the large cellular remnants. The average age was 51 for nail melanoma and 20 for nail matrix nevus, so very unequal due to the retrospective nature of the paper. 
The location of the nail and presence of dystrophy was not different between the groups, but Hutchinson sign was significantly more common in melanoma with 82% of those cases compared to in just 12.5% of the nevi. The total number of large cellular remnants of melanocytes, also called LCRMs in the paper, was significantly higher in the melanoma cases than the nevus cases with a median of 87 LCRMs in melanoma versus 36 in nevi. This group broke down the findings into three patterns of remnants in the nail plate and found that there was statistical significance for two of the groups, type 1, which was those with retraction artifact and some pigment, and type 3, which was retraction artifact and nuclear remnants. Type 2, which had no retraction artifact and heavy pigment, did have higher numbers of LCRMs in melanoma than nevi, but it was not statistically significant. The cellular remnant numbers were also higher in invasive melanoma when compared to melanoma in situ, but not statistically significant. There were special stains done in some of the cases. HMB45 staining was done and positive in five out of the seven melanoma cases, but negative on the two nevus cases that had staining. Melanae was only positive in one out of five melanoma cases on which it was done and negative in the two nevus cases that had it. The density of the remnants was significantly higher in the melanoma cases compared to nevus cases. And in the melanoma samples, the remnants were more likely to be found higher up in the dorsal part of the nail plate compared to nevus cases. The same was also true the remnants were higher up, more dorsal in invasive melanoma compared to in melanoma in situ. So the conclusions are that there are significant differences in the histopathologic characteristics, density, and location of large cellular remnants of melanocytes comparing nail melanoma and nail matrix nevi. Specifically, the number and the linear density of the remnants was significantly higher in melanoma than nevus, and the remnants were also higher up in the nail plate. This may be due to the fact that melanomas often present histologically as single cells with an upward pagetoid spreading pattern, while nail matrix nevi have more junctional nests. So if the melanoma cases have higher melanocytes, those melanocytes may be more likely to get in the nail plate and get higher up when they do. Similarly, invasive melanoma was more likely to have higher remnants than melanoma in situ perhaps reflecting the greater number of melanocytes present or more patchetoid spread in those invasive melanoma cases. The authors suggest that careful examination of the nail plate is important and that if the nail plate is removed as part of a procedure, it should be sent for histology and not discarded. They also recommend that if large remnants of melanocytes are seen on a nail plate clipping, and or if they are high density and or dorsally dispersed, then patients should undergo a nail matrix biopsy because those findings would be suggestive of a melanoma over a nail matrix nevus. The authors make a good case for histologic examination of the nail plate. Uh, their findings were generally stronger for differences in histology between the matrix nevi and nail melanoma than for the distinction between invasive melanoma and melanoma in situ. I don't know that we can take away firm conclusions about the role of clippings of the nail plate in this process because that type of sampling 
is may not be the same as what they sampled in this article, which was nail plate from an avulsion procedure. Of course, it would be great to be able to screen for nail melanoma just clipping the fingernail. And it's possible that nail plate clippings for histology may serve as a screening tool in select circumstances. Certainly, the nail plate clipping does not replace nail matrix biopsy. I would be interested in seeing a larger study as well as one looking specifically at the histology of distal clippings correlated with nail matrix biopsy results. Catherine, tell us what you read about. So I chose two short articles with some useful surgical pearls. The first is Application of Forceps in the Operation of Nail or Toenail by Drs. Kai et al., which was in press in the Journal of American Academy of Dermatology, or JAD, in October 2021. Now, most of us have probably experienced that cutting through the nail plate and fixating the finger in place during nail surgery can be difficult. These authors proposed two solutions using forceps to assist in fixating the digit. When initially cutting the nail plate longitudinally with a 15 blade, they recommend pressing the forceps perpendicularly against the patient's nail tip, holding them in place with the thumb, and pressing on the interphalangeal joint of the patient's finger with the index finger. The forceps then serve as a shield to block the scalpel from slipping toward the operator's hand. Second, when removing the nail plate from its underlying attachment to the nail bed, the surgeon can clamp the tip of the affected nail with forceps to assist in forming a gap between the nail plate and the nail bed. The nail plate can then be removed by pulling it proximally while the distal finger is fixated with the forceps. So I did my best to describe these, but I highly recommend pulling up this article because a picture is worth a thousand words with these techniques. I thought these are useful surgical pearls for nail surgery. The use of forceps is safer compared to directly using your fingers or gauze to stabilize the patient's finger, which I know is what I have done in the past. I agree. These photos are great, and it's really helpful to see photos of how people do nail procedures to increase confidence. Yes, definitely. And the second article I looked at is titled Use of Ultrasound Gel to Increase Efficacy of Cryotherapy in Treatment of Warts by Drs. Betta Murthy et al., published as a surgical pearl in JAD, November 2021. As we all know, warts can be difficult to treat, and I thought this was relevant to nail uh, as well because we see you know, periungual warts. And cryotherapy is a commonly utilized treatment modality which works by causing tissue injury, vascular stasis, occlusion, and inflammation. When the cryogen is sprayed, heat is transferred from the tissue to the cryogen. The extracellular solutes are concentrated, and the osmotic gradient leads to movement of fluid from the intracellular to the extracellular space, causing cell damage. In addition, the ice crystals cause mechanical damage to the cell membrane, and intracellular ice formation causes damage of cellular organelles. The vasoconstriction induced by the cold also produces an ischemic necrosis. The resultant inflammation leads to further destruction, all of which is the desired effect when we're treating warts. And it often requires numerous cryotherapy sessions to successfully treat the wart. 
the authors recommend applying ultrasound gel with a cotton tip applicator prior to cryotherapy. This helps to prolong the freeze time while minimizing use of cryogen, thus increasing the success of treatment. And this is a very simple adjustment to routine cryotherapy treatment, as most of us have ultrasound gel in the clinic already. So I thought this was a cool pearl, and I will definitely be trying it out with my next wart patient. I agree. Great idea. I'll try it out too. Catherine, thank you for joining me on this episode of Clippings. I want to thank our listeners for their attention. To all of our listeners, please share this podcast with your colleagues and trainees. Let us know how we are doing and which articles you would like us to review on the show by contacting kristen.cnd at gmail.com or find us on Instagram at Nail Disorders.